Yeah. Okay, good morning. And to those online, good morning. Um, before we start into the subject, I just want to talk on this quickly. The kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom of God? Does no one know? Where is the kingdom of God? Well, Scripture tells us the kingdom of God is wherever we set our foot. We take the kingdom of God wherever we go. So that means today, this is the kingdom of God for us, here and now. So that means anything can happen. Absolutely anything can happen. Whatever the kingdom of God is capable of, ha of causing to happen can happen here today. Does that inspire you, frighten you, or does it not bother you at all? It inspires me. Okay, what we're going to talk about today is the subject of, well, actually it's not a subject, the topic of deliverance. So this is a brief study of the deliverance miracles of Jesus from the Gospels. So what we're going to do is have a look at several of these and unpack them and see what it was all about and how it worked. Um, deliverance is not something that's difficult. Deliverance is not something that uh, we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. It depends what happens when we're praying for someone. We don't go looking for demons. Demons hide away. You don't want to be looking for them because you'll be looking for a long time. But when you pray for someone, often something will happen that you will see and you will understand, hopefully, what's going on. Um, in general, believers either ignore Satan's existence and power or overemphasize it. There's no, there seems to be no middle ground amongst people. They either say, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, let's go for it. Come on, let's cast some demons out. But neither is correct. It's just another gift that we use when it's necessary. So we're always praying for people, and if someone has a demon that is controlling them, and at this point I want to say, categorically, for everyone who's listening online and here, there is no way that a Christian can have a demon living within them. No way. Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. So the demon is not going to go where the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is going to say, get out of here, and he'll be gone. But unbelievers, as we once were, can very easily have a demon, or more than one. One of the scriptures we're going to look at, I'm not going to talk about that, this particular part of it, but when, when Jesus asked him his name, he said his name was Legion which was a traditional way of saying a multitude, meaning there are a multitude of demons in this person. Now, it doesn't matter how many there are. They're all there for the same reason, and that's to oppress the person that they're living in. They need somewhere to live. They need darkness. They can't be in the light. In looking at this, I was reading up some scripture commentary from a guy called Connor who gave a 
some very good teaching to us in Hong Kong. And he suggested that it's quite possible that the domain of Satan after being cast out of heaven is the universe, because it's dark. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. Makes sense to me, but I'm not putting that down as a, as a given. So, the subject of deliverance is often considered to be a strange, unknown beast, and anyway, we shouldn't bother about it, because it's too complicated and demons are too scary. However, demons are scared of us, to put it into perspective, because it's a quite straightforward issue. Deliverance, simply put, is dealing with the issue of demonic activity that is affecting someone's life or behavior. That's all it is. No more, no less. And it's one of the nine spiritual gifts that all Christians may use as and when necessary, just like the other eight spiritual gifts. So there's a group of three. You remember from our training for Jackie's ministry? There are three groups of three. And it's one of those. Demonic activity, although appearing with different effects, takes two general forms. Demonic oppression and demonic possession. In the list of, list of gifts is covered in our recent training sessions, the term deliverance is not mentioned by name. It's, it's, ne it's not mentioned really in, in Scripture either. But it is included in the gift groups named the hand of God for power. And is the second gift in that group, which is named effects of miracles because casting out a demon is a miracle so it comes under the classification of effects of miracles looking at these two types of demonic activity I would like firstly for all Christians present or watching on live feed to say again categorically Christians cannot suffer from demonic possession so let's let's leave that there no more discussion that's a given you don't have to worry about it. The, the, this form of demonism only affects unbelievers, as Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The only form of demonic interference that Christians will experience is the demonic oppression. This morning, we'll look at several of Jesus' encounters with demons, which are examples of, and it will become clear, what we mean by oppression, as opposed to possession. The reality of demonic oppression in church attendees is far more prevalent than you would imagine, mainly because demons like to keep quiet until they're disturbed or they want to control you. I could have a demon right now. I would like to think I would know about it and try and get rid of it, but it's possible. Nothing to worry about. If it doesn't cause you any problem, then you're not going to know about it. But when you get prayed for, the Holy Spirit starts to act. And then this demon that is not within you, is oppressing you from outside, starts to become upset because the Holy Spirit is at work. So it's the demon and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works through us, not sovereignly. He doesn't want to step in and say, get out of the way, I'll do this. We're meant to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit to do this. So it's a simple matter of listening to the Holy Spirit, finding out what's going on, and if there's a demon there, we tell it to get out. The effect of this oppression usually results in a lack of attention in church meetings, health issues, especially depression and headaches, and can even manifest in Christians as a rebellious nature 
toward church leaders. We've seen it. Take my word for it. This is sometimes caused by the activity of a critical spirit oppressing the person. Now, I want to give you a brief testimony. In one of the church plants, we were, we were assistant pastors for in Hong Kong. There, one, morning, one Sunday morning, the, the pastor liked to give like this. People in the congregation opportunity to share from the front. So this young guy came up and he talked a lot of things about baptism and the blood and all, all the rest of the things that, that happens with a new Christian as an encouragement for people. But he said something which someone didn't agree with. Now, strictly speaking, he was right. I'm not going to say what it was. But he'd got a little bit twisted. But if you were a Christian, you would understand, okay, I, I know what he means. This person stood up and made a big hullabaloo about the fact that you're twisting scripture. You're doing this, you're doing that. And, and before we could get to him, he was at the front with the guy, remonstrating with him, that this guy is talking nonsense, what are you talking about, that's rubbish, blah, 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 blah. So the pastor came forward, and I went forward, and we, we got hold of this guy, and we gently brought him back, and we, we, we spoke to him, and he said, what are you doing, what are you doing? I said, well, whoa, wait a minute, what are you doing? This, this, this is a church meeting, you can't just take over like that and, and act like a crazy person. What, what's the problem? He was saying something that was wrong. Yes, this can be sorted out. It, it wasn't a huge problem that's going to lead someone to, to, to walk badly. It was just a small slip of the tongue. What's the problem? He said, categorically, I have a ministry of correction. And that was what he was basing it on. Now, to me, this is, this is the... Activity of a demon that had got into this guy's head and spirit and said, look, you know, you know all this stuff. You need to correct people. And that's what he was trying to do. Well, he didn't come back because we didn't accept his gift of correction. Having said that, please do not assume, please do not assume that every instance of seeming malcontent or complaint is due to demonic oppression. This gift enables us to understand what the cause of any misunderstanding is, complaining or fault-finding. In fact, any behavior that causes contention, conflict, petty nitpicking is likely, but not definitely, to be caused by demonic oppression. What is needed is discernment. This is so necessary to identify the root of issues and that is why the gift of discernment is the most essential gift for the church as a body today and is unfortunately lacking in almost every church. We need to have discernment. And we can all have discernment. And I'm sure some of you have it, but they may not understand what I'm trying to say, so I'm going to put it very simply. Exactly when you pray and the Holy Spirit says something to you, this is exactly the same. When someone comes to the front and says something, it jars with you. You think, whoa, what was that? That, that didn't sound right. That's discernment. Now, how you, how you deal with it is to approach the leader, not come to the front and remonstrate with the person like the Ministry of Corrections guy did. You need to go to the pastor and say, hey, I don't think that was right. Okay, okay, we'll talk about it later. 
That's what you need to do, because it, it doesn't matter if, if someone has a problem like this. It's not going to go away. You could still have time to deal with it later. But you need discernment in meetings to understand what is the presence behind what is being said. Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it a human spirit? Is it a demonic spirit? And we can do that. But we need to practice it. But it's very important. It's the most valuable gift for Christians, and especially for leaders of Christian meetings and congregations. It is necessary to protect the flock from the enemy's attacks on Jesus' people in the form of disruption, contention, and conflict during meetings, as well as the appearance of counterfeit gifts in meetings, which you have. We have counterfeit gifts sometimes. It's someone's good idea, but it's not from the Holy Spirit. Maybe a good idea, but it's not from the Holy Spirit, and you can discern that. Discernment would also enable these issues to be easily identified in the general life of those prone to engage in this type of disruptive, unloving behavior as they interact with other church members and leaders. Rather than contend with and oppose them, we should come alongside them and pray with them so that if they listen to you, you have won them over. Matthew 18, 15b. This vital gift for the church will also give understanding to the source of any prophecies that just sound odd or not quite right. They may be in the form of a strong word of correction or direction, or maybe just a supposed word from a prophet. Now, let's just pause there. A prophet is someone that speaks the word of God. To any one of you here, if they come out the front and speak a word of God, or even if they're speaking a word of God that they've received, I don't mean speaking scripture to someone, I mean they've received a word from the Holy Spirit and they speak it at the table later, you're a prophet for that time. Because you're prophesying, therefore you're a prophet. But it's so important that all spiritual gifts offered to the church as a whole, or that we are given personally from someone, must be weighed and discernment applied to identify the source if we have any thought at all that there might be a problem. When you're practiced in this, you hear it and you think, no, that's fine. Or you hear it and you think, oh, no, that's not good. I need to talk to this guy and just see where it came from. This may be divine, human, or demonic. If it's divine, no problem. If it's human, not so good. If it's demonic, definitely no good. Definitely no good. So, in a meeting, this is for the leaders to decide, but all those present are expected to weigh all utterances that are given at any meeting they are attending. That means if you go to a Christian meeting somewhere in Croydon or London or somewhere, listen. The Holy Spirit is attentive. You be attentive to the Holy Spirit. What is this person saying? Does it ring true? If it doesn't, then you need to question where this person is coming from. Because if they're speaking what the Bible calls falsehoods, not lies, just maybe their own idea or interpretation of a particular passage of Scripture, that's not feeding the flock. That's misleading the flock, possibly. So this is why you need the gift of discernment. Okay, so on to today's subject. So what I want to highlight first, that all these miracles happened because of someone having faith. We're going to look at the miracles and see what happened. We'll unpack them one by one to examine what happened in each case. 
This will be revealing, and I hope that the subject of deliverance will then become something very simple and very ordinary to all of us. Very essential, but very simple and ordinary. These, um, so let's have a look at the five scriptures, and we'll also see faith where faith was present and where it was not present. So the first slide is the commission of the twelve, just to give an outline of what we're supposed to be doing. Matthew 10.1 is also our commissioning for everyone, male and female, to continue the work that Jesus started and then gave us all the ongoing responsibility to do the stuff, to quote John Wimber so many years ago. We're all to be involved in doing the stuff, and the reason for that is because the gifts were given primarily for the strengthening of the church. Not for having fun with, not for being a, a celebrity, not for doing anything. It's for building up in this church, this group of people, that they might be equipped to go and do what you need to do outside, not sitting here. You can't do anything sitting here except get healed and, and blessed and, and built up. Then you need to get out there. That's what spiritual gifts are for. You get built up here with them, you go outside and you use them to set people free. The way these... Passages are going to show us exactly the same. So, slide two, please. This is healing the two demon-possessed men. The gatherings. You know, you know the story. Jesus was was walking in the area of the gatherings just after walking on the on the water, and. A, Two demon-possessed men came out. They'd been living in the tombs nearby. Now, this seems a strange abode for anyone, but this was the choice of demons who desired darkness, and the two men had no control to make decisions. It seems that these fallen angels who were cast out of heaven because of their rebellion in joining with Satan to become like God must possess human bodies because they cannot exist without a home, a body. They cannot, because everywhere here is light. They cannot stand light. They need darkness. So they either need to go somewhere where there's darkness, or they need to be in someone. This is why they begged Jesus to let them enter the pigs. Of course, this caused the pigs to wildly, wildly career about like a cat with something tied to the end of its tail. I don't know if you've done that, if you have a pet cat. It's, it's a terrible thing to do, but it's also very funny. <laughs> the poor cat is running around, trying to get away from it and at the same time see what it is. Something's got hold of the cat. This is very similar. The pigs acted in a similar fashion because... He said, okay, you can cast me out, but put me in the pigs, please. And the pigs careened about like crazy pigs and ended up running over the cliff into the, into the lake or the sea. And they died. Now, what happened to the... the um, what happened to the demons, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. And it doesn't matter. They were taken out of the men. The men, were, the men were fine after that. They didn't need any other ministry 
they were fine. They probably needed some building up, and Jesus probably gave them a pep talk and taught, some, taught them some scripture and the way that we would do if we were ministering to someone. The question here is, who had the faith for this deliverance? Faith is necessary in anything you're going to do with spiritual gifts. If you don't have faith that a spiritual gift is going to work, don't bother trying to use it, because it won't. If you don't have faith, it won't work. It requires our faith input. Now, Jesus had the faith, but who else had the faith? Any answers? Just throw one out. Yes, Tim? The demons. Maybe. Well, actually, it was the men. Because they said to Jesus, please help us. Now, they wouldn't have said that if they didn't think Jesus could do something. And that was what allowed Jesus to do it. If someone doesn't want a demon to be cast out, you won't cast it out. You will not. If they will not respond to ministry, you will not get rid of that demon. Because they're happy for it to be in them. Even if they aren't happy, if they don't want it out, then it's going to stay. So in this case, it was the two men who came running out saying, what exactly did he say? What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, there were, there were a large herd of pigs. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So, so they were happy that Jesus could get them out of there, but also keep them safe from their point of view. Now, I think this is quite a, quite a good solution. But I'll leave that for you to think about. But the problem is that the, the pigs died. So some, some farmer lost his pigs. But I mean, that's a small price, I guess, to pay for two men being set free. But we don't know what happened to the two men after that. The next slide. So the healing of the blind mute man, Matthew 9, 32, 34. Jesus was possessed. Was possessed. He was possessed from the Holy Spirit. Yes, but that's all. When Jesus was confronted by a demon-possessed blind man, he was also mute. And after he'd driven out the demon, the man could speak. But what about his sight? He doesn't mention whether he got his sight right. But I'm positive that his sight was also restored. Otherwise, it would only be half a miracle. If the poor guy is blind and dumb, and you only heal one of them, he's still crippled. And I can't believe Jesus would have left him half crippled. So I believe that, well, that, was, that was dealt with as well. That would be in, in Jesus' character, I'm sure. The unbelieving Pharisees who were present questioned the source of Jesus' power, saying it's by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. Jesus simply trampled on their argument by pointing out that it would be impossible for the prince of demons' power to be used against the prince of demons' own power. So their, their argument was... was completely nullified. I'm sure the men became believers and followed Jesus, but no further information is given about this either. But who had the faith? Jesus had faith. So who had the faith for this miracle? 
Sorry? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say who brought him. It says he was just confronted by a demon-possessed blind man. Now, I think in this case, it's the same result. This blind man confronted Jesus. So he knew that Jesus had power. He's saying... Um, no, we don't, sorry, we don't have it here. But he actually presented himself and confronted Jesus. So he must have had faith. He must have had faith. Otherwise, he'd have run away. But he wanted something to be done. I don't think demon-possessed people want to, don't want to remain demon-possessed. Do you? I don't think so. They're, to they're tormented and they tolerate it because they have no choice. But this one was blind and mute. I'm sure he wanted help. And when he saw Jesus, he confronted him. And Jesus did it. It doesn't actually give too much detail. But if we look at other scriptures, in Mark or Luke, there aren't any in John, because John's all about the Holy Spirit. But if you look in the other two, two Gospels, you'll probably find an answer. Next slide, please. The Canaanite woman's daughter. This is a very interesting one. The Canaanite woman was not a Jew. She was a Gentile from, from Canaan. Which is why Jesus said, when she asked him to heal her daughter, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, not to Gentiles. So go away. I'm only sent to help the lost sheep of Israel. But her faith was so great that she didn't accept this. And she knelt before him, verse 25, and said, Lord, help me. Verse 25. Now Jesus used the metaphor about the bread and the dogs. And he was talking about crumbs dropping off the table. And she said, yes, but... Even we, even we can have the crumbs. And because she was pursuing Jesus for the result that she wanted, and she was wise enough to talk to Jesus in the terms that he was talking to her, she understood the parable, and she counted it and said, well, yeah, but that, does that mean because I'm not a Jew, I'm condemned, basically? He said, Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed. Now in that instance, she had the faith. Not the daughter, but she had the faith. And Jesus recognized that and granted her wish. Next slide, please. The healing of a boy with an evil spirit. In this example, Jesus and the disciples had descended from a mountain. They were met by a large crowd. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. His son had serious convulsions caused by a demon controlling the boy. It also caused the boy to foam at the mouth. There's nothing subtle about this demon. He's unafraid to reveal himself by causing the boy to foam at the mouth and frighten the crowd. You can imagine it. This, this boy is making all sorts of weird movements on the ground, and the next minute he starts foaming at the mouth. They must have thought, he's a demon. 
and they were pretty scared. This must have been before Jesus went up the mountain with them, because they said to him, the man reveals that the disciples had tried to deliver the boy of the demon, but had failed. So the disciples had already tried to deal with this guy, this, this uh, boy with an evil spirit, whose father was begging to be healed. And he said, in, in desperation and defense, but, but I've come to your disciples, they couldn't do it. They failed. So help me, please. What else can I do? I've been to your disciples, it didn't work. It's like you go to a bad doctor. It doesn't work. Please, tell me another doctor. I need, I need help. So, Jesus said, now there was a large crowd here. Jesus said, an unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? Now I'm not sure who he was talking to, whether he's talking to the crowd, whether he's talking to the disciples. It doesn't say. It doesn't matter. But can you see what is happening here? Because Jesus had moved away from the crowd. And we know this because he calls the man. The man was with the crowd. Jesus was confronted by the crowd. Now Jesus is saying to the man, bring the boy here. So he must have moved away from the crowd. Yeah? Do you agree? Say no if you like. But it's pretty plain that Jesus had moved away from the crowd and called the man to bring your son here. In other words, away from the, the faithless um, disciples who'd already tried and failed, away from the faithless crowd who were just there to, to see the fireworks and all the fun and all the games. This was a carnival atmosphere, I guess. And they were hoping Jesus would fail too. But he said, bring your son here. Now, it's pretty obvious that he'd moved away from the crowd and brought the father and his son with him because he said, bring your boy here. Jesus had deliberately moved further away from the crowd and has brought the father and his son with him. This was necessary to raise the level of faith by moving away from the unbelieving crowd of spectators and also the disciples who obviously were included and may have been the target of his unbelieving and perverse generation accusation. The disciples couldn't deliver the boy close to the crowd because the crowd's faith was so low and also the disciples' faith was so low. They were trying to do things all the time and not always succeeding. The disciples were struggling to perform in the face of this unbelieving crowd. Jesus knew this was the problem, so he moved away and dealt with the boy in private. Faith is essential for all healing. So if you're doing ministry, you must have faith that it's going to work. And the person almost also must have faith. If you corral them into a ministry situation and say, okay, now we're going to pray for you, it's probably not going to work unless they're a very malleable, amenable character. But if someone wanted to hustle me into a corner and pray for me, I'd say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what's your problem? What do you think is wrong with me, first of all? Let's talk about it because I don't think I have a problem, but maybe you can see something. Tell me. But to hustle me away into a corner and say, right, now we're going to pray for you. Close your eyes, put your hands out, whatever. No. No, sorry. So he moved away and dealt with the boy in private. So, to sum up, we have all the authority we need 
to deliver a demon. We also need to have sufficient faith to deliver a demon or demons. We must persevere, have faith, be determined, and not give up. I think this is pretty obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do not attempt to deliver demons on your own. You will be outnumbered because you've got the person and you've got the demon. And you will find it very difficult. Always better to minister healing, with or without deliverance, with at least one, if, if not two, others to assist. And provide spiritual support. If they don't pray for the healing, they can pray for you and the person, quietly. They don't have to be involved in the healing, but they need to be there. No, more than one demon will require more time. They don't come out in bulk. It's not like going to the shop and buying a big pack instead of a small pack. And it will need more perseverance because the demons, if there are more than one, will be cooperating to make things difficult. However, we have the authority from Jesus to tell them to be quiet. If they're causing a disturbance, we can tell them to be quiet. But you don't insult them. You don't speak badly to them. Like, for instance, heaven forbid, shut up, you filthy demon. That's not encouraging way to start a ministry session. And I think you might get some blowback from that if they are causing a disturbance. Therefore, we must practice. It doesn't matter if we do not succeed immediately. We must persevere. Now, I just want to share a short testimony. We've got some time, yeah? Um, St. Stephen's Society, which is Jackie's ministry, planted a church in the Philippines about 20 years ago. And we went along several times because we, we were pastoring the helpers in those days, um, dealing with their stuff so that they could get healed up and help the drug addicts. Um, and we went there to just help with the ministry because they were, they were doing some teaching in the, in the church that they planted. So it was all full of, of Filipinos. Um, from, from the lo local area. They're all Christians, no problem. Um, but one day they decided they wanted to do a prayer walk. The church himself wanted to do, said, let's do a prayer walk. Said, okay, fine, that's, that's a great idea, let's, let's pray walk. So what they did is they split the place up into maybe four people, six people, depending on where they were going, and, and said, right, yeah, you, you go to this area, you go to this area, you go to this area. You go to this high area and pray over the whole the whole town of Cebu. We were in Cebu, which is a small compared to the Philippines, but a large island. And we prayer walked our little area, and then we came across a, a um, obviously a special area because it was it was concrete and, and some some ornate walls and some planting and stuff. But in the middle of this, you could call it a small plaza. It was in the middle of nowhere, nowhere near anything else. It was a secluded place, but it was open. It wasn't in woods or forest or anything like that. There was this huge statue of a guy called Lapu Lapu, who was in the... Um, Karen Ann's not here, is she? She could give us the exact date, I'm sure, because it's roughly the same time that Goa was invaded. The Spanish invaded um, the Philippines, including Cebu, and 
this leader of the natives, for want of a better word, the people that were there, the Cebuanos, um, he led them to success against the um, conquistadors in Spain. Probably because they were fighting in the sea, because they couldn't get up past the beach, because the, the natives had a beachhead and wouldn't let them out the sea, so it was probably a lot easier to rain down your arrows to these guys standing knee-deep or chest-deep in water. Uh, but anyway, he was lauded as a god and worshipped in this way. And this statue was to him. And there was a cult, wrong word, there was a, a strong following of Lapu-Lapu because he was honoured as a, as a deliverer, a saviour of the Philippines, which he was. But we would say, we would attribute that to God working through this man. But of course, the, the, the local people didn't. And we're talking about several hundred years ago, 17th, 16th century. So we had two young girls with us, uh, probably 16, were they? Um, and we were just praying against Lapu-Lapu, against the following of Lapu-Lapu. People would see that this was not anything that had power. The power was from another source, the enemy, through this character. And after about five minutes, one of these girls started to choke. Now, we were a bit slow because I thought she was coughing or something, but then very quickly realized that she was under attack. She was being attacked by a demon, and she was being strangled. You couldn't see anything, but she was trying to get this thing off of her throat. But obviously, there was nothing there for her to get hold of. It was supernatural. So we just shot into action and started to pray, and it took about 10 minutes. But in the end, this thing came off. Now, this is how easy someone can get a demon. If, now they were probably getting it through their family because they weren't, they were Christians, but their family had probably been worshipping Lapu-Lapu for a long time, generations. So this comes down the generations and can affect the later people, like their children. Now, it definitely affected this girl. The other girl was fine. But this one girl nearly died. So... Do you feel better or worse now? I hope you feel better. Because it's not a problem. But it sounds scary. But it's not. Because we have the authority. Jesus gave us all authority in heaven and earth I give to you. The same as he gave the disciples, he gave to us. So we have all authority in heaven and earth to operate in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power. So, can you pray and get some words? Not necessarily for deliverance, just what does the Holy Spirit want to do? And let's have a ministry time, yeah? Thank you.